Hi, better late than never. Welcome to Paperback Readers. It's good to be back with you, or as somebody famous once said, it's good to be anywhere. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and COVID has ravaged our household, but we're slowly coming out from the surges of that and managed to read a few books while uh, we all battled. Why don't you get started? Okay, I read four books largely while flat on my back, and... Uh, can still hear it in your voice. Yeah, I, I'm, it's a long way back. Um, I read The Beatles Alive, the ultimate reference book by Mark Lewison. Um, he is, of course, like Mr. Beatles historian, and this was his first book. It was before I knew of him. It came out in like the mid-80s, so uh, while I loved The Beatles even then, I had no idea who he was or where this book was, so it was cool to get to read it, and uh, it, it was interesting. It is you know, typical of his work, and that he's very careful in charting that on May the 6th, 1959, they played a show in Bogner, Wales for two pounds apiece or something. You know, the, the early stuff is interesting. The later stuff, honestly, the sad truth is that the Beatles were an awful live band during the majority of their career, mostly because they couldn't hear themselves, which makes it hard. But It would. Anyway, good book. Uh, you know, a little little referency, but shorter than many of his books. And uh, I did learn some odds and ends, uh, the parts that seeped into my brain anyway. Awesome. Uh, I read a book called The Beatles Movies by Bob Neverson. Neverson? Um, it was not as uh, necessary as the Lewison book. Uh, a quick look at, uh, what is it, it's Hard Day's Night, Help Magical Mystery Tour, Yellow Submarine, and Let It Be. Uh, the best stuff's the early stuff, Hard Day's Night, Help. He wants to talk about Magical Mystery Tour, which I loved when I was a kid because it's weird and makes no sense. But as an adult, I find it tiring because it's weird and it makes no sense. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a quick read. And if you're into that sort of thing, you might enjoy it. Anyway, um, other than the shared book, the other one... I continued the presidential theme, <laughs> and after spending roughly five years wading through Ron Chernow's Grant biography, which is great, Fraud of the Century, Rutherford B. Hayes, Samuel Tilden, and the Stolen Election of 1876 by Roy Morris Jr. As the title suggests, uh, this centers largely around Hayes' very controversial presidential election, an election where there were three states whose ultimate results were unclear and we had all sorts of crazy scenarios of who should ultimately decide the presidency. And uh, there were parts of this that seemed familiar, which is funny because Morris, of course, wrote this a few years before anything that happened in 2020. Uh, but anyway, it was a good history, a good look at, at Hayes, who I chose this route because he's frankly one of the more boring presidents. There's not a whole lot to say about him. Uh, and Tilden, who probably would have been just as boring. But uh, anyway, it was a crazy election. If you enjoy those sorts of details, uh, basically the, the compromise that was reached is the end of Reconstruction. And it's um, the Jim Crow curtain descends on the South for, you know, what, the better part of 100 years. So it, it's not exactly sunny and optimistic, but it was interesting. It was a quick read, too. Uh, again, after taking months on Grant, I powered through Hayes in one episode and actually made pretty good progress on Garfield, which similarly, I took a, a kind of a more modern uh, book that centered around a specific incident. Hint, hint, he was only president for a few months, so his assassination is uh, 
the central tenant there. So uh, how long have you been working on this presidential challenge? I don't know. I have to go back and you look. You announced it here first. Well, probably about the length of this then, because some of these have taken quite a long time. I was thinking you did it around a new year. Possible. Like it was your reading goal. Year and two-thirds old, that's probably <laughs> about right. And, you know, Garfield's number 20, so onward we power. But anyway, that, that was uh, a relative highlight, and the Garfield book has been phenomenal. I'm reading some other good stuff. I do want to mention archive.org, which I stumbled upon. You have that's, mentioned it several times. That's uh, been pretty much my go-to jam lately. But, yeah, I've read it. I'm reading a book with Ryan about basketball from there. I've got a fun baseball book that I read when I was about Ryan's age. And now I'm reading again for the first time back. And I'll talk about that one next time. And this fascinating James Garfield book. But, anyway, <laughs> don't let me get carried away. Tell me. Since I've barely seen you in the last couple of weeks, what have you been reading? I don't think that you're going to be very interested in what I've been reading. You never know. <laughs> well, I read five books, and I am, instead of telling them in chronological order, I'm going to go in order of genre, because I read two genres. Ever since COVID hit, I have just wanted comfort reads. Like, for the past two years, I have just wanted to read things that were comforting and made me feel happy without having to stress out. I used to read tons and tons of literary novels, and I still read literary novels, but I just have wanted to feel happy in my reading. So, if you've listened to this podcast very much, you know that I pretty much constantly talk about rom-coms. I was going to say, we're going for like hardcore vampire. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and so, three of my books that I read over these past two weeks were rom-coms. Didn't really have a lot to do while everybody had COVID, and so I just read books to be happy. You read a lot, yeah. So, which, God bless you. All right, so the first one was Just Another Love Song by Carrie Winfrey. I'm not a huge Carrie Winfrey fan, but I really, really, really liked this one. Um, honestly, <laughs> as quite often happens with me with rom-coms, I finished the book. I say that was really good, and I can't really remember much about <laughs> what happened in it because the whole purpose of it was just to like take me to another place and, and feel happy. I like these books because you don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the end. You know things are going to work out. It's just, it's very, very comforting. Anyway, what I really did like about this book, though, the main character is an, the, ma the main male character is um, an alt-country singer who has achieved popularity. He comes back to... I mean, that's a, a unicorn right there. there you go. Well, this is, yeah. Um, Bless him. <laughs> they, he comes back to his hometown with his son. He's divorced. And he comes back mostly because he wants to see what happened to his high school sweetheart who brutally broke up with him. The story is from her perspective, actually. And she has given up her big dreams of being all kinds of places to stay here in this town for various reasons. So here's what I liked about this story. Small town, kind of countryish sort of setting. It is absolutely full of 90s nostalgia because these two... We're in high school in the 90s, um, just as we were. So lots of 90s country music, 90s rock. And the whole book has that, that 90s era vibe to it, which was a whole nother level of comfort reading for me. Um, it was just a really, really fun read, start to finish, all the way through. If you like a romantic comedy, if you don't necessarily want to see all of the steamy scenes and you like that nostalgic kind of thing, 
this is a book for you. Then I read Party of Two by Jasmine Guillory. If you've read anything by Jasmine Guillory, you know that that's going to pretty much be steam start to finish. So <laughs> I read this one. I talked about another one by her last time because I had read it for a food book club and I was like, why is this a food book? Well, I read this one, which Party of Two, I could totally have seen why this one was a food book. It was like food starts. They were always eating things and it was delicious things. And so... I ended up being like, huh, maybe she's a food writer after all by the you end of it. you got to do something when you're not doing the other thing that they <laughs> apparently always do. You haven't read it. All right. <laughs> the last rom-com I read was Love on the Brain by Allie Hazelwood. I had read her book, The Love Hypothesis, several times, and I liked it. Allie Hazelwood writes brainy romantic comedies. Her characters in Love Hypothesis and Love on the Brain are um, in STEM fields generally either PhDs or PhD candidates. She herself has a PhD and I believe is a professor somewhere. Um, and she writes, especially in this one, like a lot of the challenges of women in the STEM field, trying to get ahead, trying to get their work noticed. And then of course, you know, falling in love somewhere along the way. They're just really fun books. Okay. That's so all. you've got like country people hook up, hungry people <laughs> hook up and smart people hook up. <laughs> I'm done with the hookups, okay? The last genre that I read in was food, which really should come as a shock to no one either. The first one is called We Will Feast by Kendall Vanderslice, and this one also is a book about faith. Kendall Vanderslice really does some interesting things. I don't know how to describe her job exactly. She's really made it up herself, and it's very interesting. She writes a lot of curriculum for, like, Bible studies around um, connecting what goes on when we make food and we eat together with what happens in our faith. So, like, she's got curriculum for, like, it's going to sound cheesy, but I swear this is, this is not cheesy, like, baking it through the Bible. And, like, it's prayers and meditations that match up with the movement of your hands as you are actually creating something, some kind of bread, some kind of thing that you then sit down and share with other people. She's got curriculum designed around helping your kids do that and like learning about creating things in the kitchen and how it's meant to feed the family of God. So We Will Feast is a book about um, unusual churches throughout the country that she traveled and visited. One of them was the church that she was attending, I think, when she started writing this book, who have redone the way that church has always been done and they've arranged it around a table. So you had glimpses of churches who do everything from meet on Thursday nights and they have a potluck meal to churches who um, just radically rethink what taking communion looks like. And that most of the time these churches don't meet in a church. Most of the time they don't meet on a Sunday. Um, there was one church in particular that was very focused on outreach to the community so that it really reached out to the poor and the homeless in the community and brought them in and had like a dinner church together with them. I found those stories and just the idea of people rethinking church period to be really, really interesting and very important. I think those are conversations we need to be having. I think <clears throat> as we are both people of faith, we're both Christians, um, I think that the idea that we do church because that's the way we've always done church is an idea that has been um, brought out again and again over the past two years. And I think it's actually kind of dangerous. It's something that we need to examine for why we do church the way we do church and look and see if we can do church maybe more the way the Bible 
indicated that some kinds of that, that gatherings of Christians would go. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a think out of the box um, element. It, you know, I, I'm always skeptical of anything that we do because that's the way we've always done it. it one of my uh, you know ten cans I like to set up and shoot BBs at is law school because. You got to hear me say a million times when I did it that the central tenet of law school is we do law school the way they did at Harvard in 1890, and that's good enough. And that's always struck me as one of the dumbest things imaginable. Well, I mean, yeah, whatever. There are lots of things, lots of places that do things because that's the way we've always done it. I don't think it should be that way in the church. Yeah. Um, or, or let's say that shouldn't be the, the only way, way. Especially because the way we've always done it is not the way we've always done it. It's just the only thing that people who are alive right now can remember yeah, doing it sure, as. Sure. It's not really a true, um, you know, foundation-based kind of tradition that we're looking at and right. talking about. So that was really interesting. And then the last one that I read was called Cork Dork by <laughs> Bianca Bosker. And it's had a long subtitle that I did not go back and look up. But it's a great regular title. I'd stick with that, too. Bianca Bosco, this is a memoir, um, kind of, and kind of just journalism expose kind of thing. She was a journalist for a tech company when she, I forget how, um, got connected with people who are just wild about wine, the sommeliers of New York. Say sommeliers, yeah. Yeah, I don't even know how you say it, but. Um, I don't know that I do either, <laughs> Um, and she so just became <laughs> fascinated with the way that they think about wine, talk about wine, oh, yeah. um, the way that the study of wine for them redoes their entire senses, the smell, the taste, all those kinds of things. She ended up quitting her job and joining the world of the um, cork dorks and like going through to take the um, master test herself. And so this is the story Which of Which is her. freaking hard, right? It's crazy. And talk yeah. about doing things the way they've always done them. <laughs> um, she like told the whole story here and all of the little side journeys that she took along the way. Um, I picked this up because of a food group that I belonged to and somebody had recommended this and I thought it sounded interesting. I found a copy at a used bookstore and picked it up and I really... I, I couldn't put it down. I just found it incredibly fascinating, a world I know nothing about, but I just, I, I really want to know more. Mm -hmm. By the end of this book, I'm like, could I take this test? <laughs> Maybe I could learn this stuff. A few so. subtle hints of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <Good luck. laughs> it sounded amazing. Okay, those are my books, and that brings us to the shared read that we have for this week, which is Hummingbird by Natalie Lloyd. Oh my gosh, okay, uh, you had read it before, I, I went through it slowly during much of my sickness and was just struck again, this is the third book of hers I believe that I have gone through, they're just such sweet, beautiful, sentimental, lovely little books. First, let's have a little context. You are 100% right in everything you just said. Hummingbird is a middle grades novel. Mm -hmm. Natalie Lloyd, um, I think, solely writes middle grades. I've never, I think we've read just about everything she's ever written. Or, I, you know, some of us in this house have. Yeah. Um, and she's exactly like you said, just beautiful, lyrical, um, generally set in the same area of the country, Tennessee, mm -hmm. um, little towns in Tennessee. This one, um, we heard her speak at Parnassus Books. That's where we picked this one up. Mm -hmm. And she talked about how this one in particular was a little more personal for her because it is the most autobiographical of her books. Now, you've read it more recently than I have, so you give a synopsis. 
Well, Olive, who is our protagonist, is a little girl who has been, she's 11. She has been homeschooled her whole life, largely because she has, and I blank on the technical name for it, but it's brittle bone disease. Natalie Lloyd, in real life, has brittle bone disease. Uh, so this was a story that was very personal to her. Olive, when we meet her, her heart's delight, her goal above all goals, is she wants to go to the local middle school. And because she, she... Yeah, she, she wants to have a friend. She wants to have a BFF, not just any friend. Um, needless to say, that happens. That's, that's a large part of the backdrop. But Natalie Lloyd loves kind of a like... Magical young, realism. Yeah, a young kid version of magical realism. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's here too. There, there's, she's big on legends. She's big, again, it goes kind of, I think, with where she's from, uh, literally and, uh, you know, spiritually. That, that rural southern people traffic in these uh, kind of legends, and, and they do in her books. And there's a really cool, you know, it, what a mystery, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of a riddle that that Olive wants to figure out, wants to get to the bottom of. And, and she joins forces with her friends. Yeah, she makes friends, some very unlikely, some she or we never really see coming until it happens. Um, but against that backdrop, it's really a story about a young person with a disability coming to terms with that and, and figuring out, what that really means in her day-to-day life. And it's just so affirming and, and so gorgeously written. And if you are somebody like that, if you know somebody like that, I think this would be a perfect book to share. I think it'd be perfect for anybody to help you be more aware and just more yeah. loving of people who are all around you. I find it really interesting. One of my favorite things about the book was Olive's persistent, positive spirit. Not like a Pollyanna kind of thing, but just this fierce determination that her life is going to be beautiful and she's going to find the beauty in it. And I thought that was really interesting because when we heard Natalie Lloyd speak at Parnassus, she talked about how she couldn't get the voice and the, the feeling right in this book until she tapped into her own middle school anger and frustration at having this disability, and that was able to give her Olive's voice. And I just thought that was a really interesting thing because you wouldn't hear Olive coming off as angry, you know? No, not at all, not at all. Probably a lot like Natalie Lloyd. And by the way, plug for Natalie Lloyd, too, who read the audiobook, and that's what I listened to. I love audiobooks anyway. She did a great job. She, when we heard her talk, she was like, I don't know, you know, got this big Southern accent. No, it was phenomenal. She, she reads it as well as I would have expected. Uh, I hope she keeps doing her own audiobooks because I'm, I'm a sucker for that anyway. I, I feel like the author always has the inside track on how everybody sounds, how everybody feels. You know, whenever you hand something off, the person's a professional. They're going to do a good job, but they're going to miss some things. They're going to have some things that they see differently. Maybe that's not even missing things. That's just seeing it differently. But she did a great job. It was a really fun audio book. And, and if you like that sort of thing, you can check it out that way.
I like the vibe of her books too. She's her characters are often very musical. What instrument does the uncle in the story play? It's like a banjo or something. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. But I, she she talks about liking that bluegrass kind of music. Her books almost read like a really good bluegrass song. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just that that steady beat, that weird beauty, the interesting characters. Don't be looking at me like that. No, you know I'm, I'm not a big I'm, bluegrass fan. I'm smiling because there's something I, I haven't told you. This is, this is another COVID effect. So there's a little bit of incidental music that plays under the audiobook. And we get to the end, and she's reading the final credits, and it's David Mansfield who plays the music. I know David Mansfield from his work in Bob Dylan's band in the 70s. I was like, oh my gosh, so cool. But yeah, just one of those times when my world's come together. Uh, but yeah, totally in her in her wheelhouse. That's that's her kind of stuff. I feel like setting is another. The setting and the vibe is is a, a real gift of hers. She writes about a part of the country that has been marginalized, that people look down on, and that um, people don't want to think about as being full of beauty. But there is not one unbeautiful word in this whole book. And and the way that she paints her people. And her setting makes you want to go there, makes you want to experience this kind of life. I love the old people. You've yes, reminded her me. her old people are wonderful. Her old people are and great. her old people are true. Yes. she. I, I'm not going deep in spoiler here, but she has to interact with a couple of fairly crotchety local older people. And they're both so wonderful. But oh, my gosh. In all of her books, her old people are magnificent. And her old people are absolutely what old people in this part of the country are. Yeah, yeah. I, I love her kids, but but she, the way she writes old people, I read one of her books about old people. Um, I, I think that the way she weaves lessons and inspiration into a story is just a gorgeous thing. I was flipping through the photos on my phone a little bit earlier, just looking for the picture that I was going to attach to um, this particular podcast, and I found... <laughs> I found just picture after picture of pages from Hummingbird where I had found a quote that was so gorgeous I wanted to write it down, but I didn't have a notebook and I would just snap. (laughs) I don't know how many pictures of pages from this book I have because the lines were so beautiful. And I think I wrote two blog posts about this book and I never write multiple blog posts about a book. It's just absolutely beautiful. Even if you're not a person who is really big on middle grades, if you just like a good story, if you like a plucky character, if you want to learn more about people who might be different from you, this one's worth picking up. And it's a really fast read. It has a really cute cover, too. A really cool cover. Yeah, yeah. Just, I'm always blown away. It's one of those things where I come in and I'm like, she's good. It's going to be a, a professional job, but... Everyone that I've gone through out of three has has brought something else different, new out that I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Um, I want to say to you on a personal note, we were introduced to Natalie Lloyd by our daughter, Natalie, yes, who brought home The Key to Extraordinary. And I think it was the first book she had ever brought home that she said was her favorite book she's ever read. And it was a book that either you or I had not given to her. The first one she found on her own and identified as a favorite. And so we read it and fell in love with it. We took Natalie to Chattanooga to meet Natalie Lloyd when Mm -hmm. she came down there. We got another book. We read Snicker of Magic. This time, Natalie starts, she's aging out of the middle grade novels. 
And when I said, let's go to Parnassus and meet Natalie Lloyd, I didn't really think about it too hard until we were there at Parnassus. And I'm like, yeah, we came for me. <laughs> we didn't come. <laughs> we didn't come for Natalie because she's just she's she's getting to where she feels like she's a little bit too old. But you and I, we are not too old. Yeah, she's working more toward like you know <laughs> dragons and castles and stuff these days. Like she, yeah, but, yeah. But she that's just, okay. I'll stick in that world. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep it. I'll keep it. And every time Natalie Lloyd comes around with a new book, we're going and we're gonna get it. Why not? Shoot. <laughs> well, we're working a little more controversial next time around uh, from. A lady we've gone to see and and really uh, enjoyed to a lady who's been eh, dragged through the mud a little bit, but as long as she keeps writing them, I'm going to keep reading them. We talked about her last book when it came out, and we're going to do our very best because we... (laughs) We're cutting it short now. You only have like a week and a couple of days. Bleak House looked like a short story. Crap. Um, Robert Galbraith, uh, the pseudonym for J.K. Rowling. The new book has come out in the Cormoran Strike series. It is called The Ink Black Heart. I have already started it. I cannot put it down. You're going to do your best to read it as quickly as you can. I hope it's not like as, as explicitly creepy as some of these. It looks creepy. All right, we're going to have it to talk to you about in two weeks. If you have read anything that we've talked about today and would like to tell us your opinions, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, or on Twitter at pbackreaderspod. I'll await your Chester A. Arthur biography recommendations. (laughs) Until then, stay well, and even if you're sick like I was, keep a good book handy, keep reading. 